the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, episode 201. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to the show. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? I am good. Yeah? Yes. What's going on? What's going on over there? What are you up to? Let's see. I've been up. I've had a lot of coffee. I've read. I've meditated and I've gone for a run. Um, so that's yeah, that's my day so far. I just rolled out of bed. <laughs> but we do have a two hour difference. <laughs> and plug this microphone in and I'm sitting here. <laughs> I don't it's 10 a.m. Yeah. here. 10 a.m. Yeah. So yeah, I've done some things already. Um, my sleep schedule is just really good right now. Like uh-huh. it's just good. Like I've been falling asleep at 9:30 and getting up at 5:30, 6 o'clock uh-huh. without an alarm. And it's just I have a really good sleep schedule. And now that I've said that, it's gonna be completely fucked up and wire tonight. <laughs> But right now it is so good. So that's just, that primes the pump for me. That's just my thing. Well, it's been my thing for years, but I got to tell you, Sandra, this kind of deep sleep I've been doing these last few weeks, um, my body feels so heavy, Mm. like lead, and it feels so good just to stay in bed. And I've not allowed myself to do that for so long. It feels completely decadent. I knew I was getting on here at eight o'clock with you, my time. Um, I haven't even had my tea yet. I'm just, I really, the I'm sleeping on the other side of the bed, which I have not done in 25-ish years, right? I finally have moved over to the other side. And mm-hmm. there's some, I've just been doing that the last month since I moved into my new place. And there's some kind of deep rest that's come over me. I don't know. Wow. It feels really good. Um, I do miss all the hours that I've frittered away in bed. <laughs> um, but again, since I'm trying to rest and re- and like kind of have a new rhythm, I'm I'm going with it. So yeah, I feel I feel rested. <laughs> but good for you. Good. 
Oh, yeah. Good. Um, so we're getting back in the swing of things. I have to tell we you, are. after our podcast came out, I had this whole crazy, lovely, like I, I did an Instagram story. I feel like I'm like Stella and I got my groove back. Ooh. I have like ideas percolating. I have things in my mind. I decided to do an audio newsletter instead of writing one because I've been resisting writing one for so long. And I'm like, why don't I just do one like I did in my class where I just have a little audio thing that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, Super easy. Grady's going to help me put it together, which is very cute that he wants to help me. Um, And so I just feel like this new little uh, resurgence of some ideas and some things I want to share. And it felt good. It felt so good to podcast with you. And I think that's what just like ripped the bandaid off for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm Mm -hmm. excited to just kind of get going again on some things. Good. Oh, I love that energy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I miss writing right now. So like, mm. I'm trying to, uh, there's no such thing as balance. I need a, a rhythm where I take a day to just kind of sit in front of the computer mm-hmm. and I just haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. Um, so, but I do miss writing. I miss writing my newsletter. I miss just writing in general. I, I jot now, you know, like I just kind of mm-hmm. jot some things down in my, um, you know, my journal, but, but I miss like long, for, longer form writing and yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there is a new change. I was talking with clients, you know, working with my gray area coaching clients and just talking about this new season, new rhythm, you know, and that's, that's, um, I definitely feel it. And, um, the great thing, um, that happened for me this week is that I met with my creative coach and it's, it's interesting to coach people. And then it's interesting to be coached, right. And how they Mm -hmm. can reflect some things back to you sometimes that you can't even see. And, um, I was working on the invitation class, um, decided that I was going to do it in January, you know, kind of, or a little bit release it around the winter solstice. And then I was going to do another class in June around the summer solstice, kind of do like a check-in. And it's so interesting because I really thought like, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, copy the modules, I'll update it and, you know, throw it out there and just see, you know, how it works. And, um, but that's not what's happened. It's like, I want to talk about slowing down. <laughs> I want to talk about resting. So all the things I was talking to her about, she's like, well, just do that for, I'm sure your invitation class, people feel this way too. You can just talk about it. And um, anyhow, I'm excited. So I'm working on that and that's going to come out. And I, I realized that I want to talk to my newsletter subscribers more. I have about a thousand um, subscribers and I thought, you know, why don't I ask them, what do they want to hear? What do they want to see? And I got like, I got 75 as of yesterday, 75 responses from my newsletter subscribers that were really helpful, really Mm. helpful. So yeah, just kind of like, I don't know, looking at myself differently of what I do, because, you know, she models back to me like, well, you do this and you talk about this and you show me how to do this because we do trade. And I'm like, oh, I do do that. Don't I? (laughs) You know, you kind of can't, I can't see myself sometimes. And I think since I've been in this little bit of a dark period, I I've forgotten a few things about what I, what I share and how I do it. So it's been good. It's been a good week. Mm. 
Good. That is sounds very positive. I would like to just plug one thing yeah. and that's, um, since we're talking about newsletters, newsletter is a good place to sign up, um, uh -huh. and find out, you know, what I'm doing, which is what I was doing last week when we recorded. Uh -huh. Um, but I am in the throes of making, and I have lots of new, just garments that I'm in love with. And my enthusiasm is not being very well expressed here right now, but <laughs> I'm super excited to share them. And so far I'm the model. So you have to yes. suffer through that with me. Um, but I have new glasses so that, you know, that, yeah. um, trying to work on my look a little bit. As Your look model. is looking good. Let's just say that. <laughs> the model yeah. and spokesperson of uh -huh. the Unruffled Clothing. Um, but I would love for everyone to take a look if you need a beautiful, right now I'm like making these robes that are just beautiful. I'm just in love with them. Uh -huh. in love with them. They're flowy, they're versatile. They feel good on your skin. And um once I've tapped out my robe making, I'm going to get back into some caftans because it's almost caftan season. We're That's right. coming up on caftan season. So anyway, <laughs> check the me out the at theunruffled.com and at, in my marketplace, there's lots of, I'm posting something, a couple of things a week. So great. They're so beautiful, Sandra. And you are a beautiful model. And I love seeing you do it because it's you, it's your brand. It's you. I like seeing you in your clothes. So I just, and those new glasses that you got are just well, out of this world. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking good. Um, yeah. My newsletter can be found on my website, which I'm getting a new website. I don't know exactly when that's all rolling out. I probably need to do some things for that. So I'll let people know, but um, the newsletters at TammySalas.com and the um, what I'm saying, a mini podcast or audio, if that's confusing, basically you can listen to my newsletter is what it's going to be. And it'll only be about 15 minutes long. And I'll probably add a theme song at the end. Cause I like to do that with things and just a short little pick me up. I think it'll release, um, I don't know, on Fridays, maybe kind of a fun thing before the weekend. I don't know. I'm going to play around with it this week and, uh, and see, but, um, yeah, that's the best way to find out about my new class and that I'm offering in June and all the other new stuff. So if you want to sign up, that's the best way to find out what's going on. All right. All right. So, so, so a caveat about the upcoming interview, right? Yes. We interviewed our guest back in January. <laughs> I seems think I've forgotten so what we talked about. I know. Yeah, it seems so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah, we had a great conversation with Kate Bailey, and I love, love, love her. And so, so uh, multifaceted, multi-passionate, like all her talents. And then on top of that, um, we have a lot to talk about because she has a new book coming out. So let's let's get right. into the bio. Yeah, yeah. So Kate Bailey is a certified life and personal performance coach specializing in helping women get, stay, and love being sober. She is also the co-author of the book, Love Yourself Sober, published in the UK and now available in the US as of March 1st, 2021. She was shortlisted for the best newcomer and a finalist in the prestigious International Coaching Awards hosted by the Coaching Academy Coaching for a Cause category in 2019. 
2018 and holds certificates in the science of happiness and positive psychology. Yeah, and Kate is probably best known for her work in founding Love Sober with Mandy Manners and the Love Sober podcast, which they set up to change the conversation about alcohol use, parenting, and mental health. Um, They have a community of brilliant women, of course, just like we do, and work to support women who live in joyful sobriety, focusing on their strengths and positive models of sustainable behavior change. Uh, They are also both She Recovers designated coaches and as coach trainers for the Coaching Academy. Um, You can find Kate um, through her website, katebailey.com, or at thecoachingacademy.com backslash addictive. Mm. Um, yeah, we had a great conversation. I know it was in January, but we're so happy to share her with all of you and hope that you enjoy the show. Yes, please enjoy Kate. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. Good morning. Hi. Tell our listeners where you're calling, where we're, where you're chatting to us from. Yeah, so I'm chatting to you from England. I would say sunny England, but it really isn't. It's raining and it's grey. Yeah, so and and I'm just south of London, between London and Brighton on the near the south coast. Oh, Kate, I want you to read like the phone book to me. That would be I know. (laughs) (laughs) That would be that would be lovely. I like to pretend I have an accent sometimes and pretend like I'm, you know, Hermione from um, Harry Potter. I don't really find that I amuse too many people with that though. I have to say my son, my son, the least amount now, he used to like it when he was five, but that's about it. (laughs) That's about it. Um, So tell us how we start the show. Usually Kate is we kind of dive in and we um, talk about how you got, came to the decision to, you know, remove alcohol from your life. Mm. Can you share that with us? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it was it was a long, slow, arduous journey, as it is for most of us, I think, for many of us, um, of really knowing that it, it wasn't working for quite a few years um, until I actually found a way and the tools to stop. So the I'd say that I was a typical sort of teen in the UK and that we sort of start drinking around 15, 16, some younger, some older. Um, And it it just sort of, it dealt with the awkward sort of feelings, anxiety. And um, and I I was actually quite an anxious teen. So I remember vividly Um, And now that I know about these things, I'm like, oh, man, that was a really big warning sign. But I remember the first time I was actually drunk was about 15 at my brother's engagement party. And I remember going to the toilet and looking at this weird sort of velvet wallpaper. And I felt unusually calm. And I thought, oh, I feel happy. I clocked it. And then I went, oh, I feel drunk. And that was it. It was like happiness and being calm and be having alcohol. I would say that a sort of neural pathway the size of the M1, which is a really big motorway, I think you call them freeways, <laughs> mm-hmm. was built at that point. And so I think pretty much um, from the word go, I was self-medicating. 
with alcohol for, uh, covering up anxiety, uncomfortable feelings uh, as a teen. Um, and this kind of, you know, it all looked okay. It looks pretty normal. Most kids, you know, we're going to parties and stuff. I went to uni, that's a big drinking scene. And then after that, I, uh, I went, I moved to London and I was a journalist. And again, it's very boozy. You know, I worked on the national press and actually back in the day, there was, um, you went in and turned left and I won't say which paper it was, but there was the canteen and it had a bar and it was open, you know, when you turned up in the morning. So it wow. was, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, British culture is very alco-centric, you know, it's a norm definitely a normative drinking culture. Um, so yeah, and, and I guess this sort of carried on. I was aware that I, you know, I was, start, I was having some blackouts, but again, quite a lot of people that I knew were, you know, that was fairly common for us as in our 20s. And then I'd say in my 30s, it sort of took a bit of a darker turn where I was getting quite paranoid. Like I said, my mental health seemed to take a battering when I did drink. Um, and I'd say, you know, I was that I was a wine drinker. You know, I'd progressed on from beer in my youth and I, I was that kind of thought I was quite a sophisticated wine drinker. Um, but, you know, often I wasn't and often I was drinking on my own to sort of de-stress from the day. And I really think that that it, it took the final darker turn when uh, when I was became a mother. And suddenly, and this is one of the reasons why Mandy and I work in the way that we do at, at Love Sober, which obviously we'll talk about later, and why we focus on, on mums and parents and carers, um, is that often I think for that, you know, when you become a mum, a lot, I, you know, I couldn't get out to do my usual coping strategies. I, I wasn't working, so there was quite a lot of my uh, value and my sort of intellectual life sort of shut down I couldn't get out my husband was working late in another city so often I was stuck in literally holding the baby and I became very lonely I became very isolated I couldn't go to hot yoga classes because they didn't have a crash you know at some point I actually talked to my next door neighbor who was who had gone to AA and he I, I wanted to go along to a meeting but I didn't have childcare. <laughs> right. and I you know so much of that so I'd say that that's when it it kind of really yeah it took that darker turn and I realized that nothing about it was fitting nothing about it was feeling good but at that point I didn't know how to stop how how old were you when you became a mother Kate so I was 38 38 okay mom yeah. So you had been having your career, drinking had been part of it for a really long time that had been part of your life, right? Since you said you yeah. were 15. And it was sort of balanced. Yeah, it was sort of, I, it was, you know, I was, I was very into health though. It was like, I was, I would say that I was kind of working very, very hard to look very normal, I think mm. would categorize those years. So I used to look, I did that typical thing where even though there was a big disconnect in me and it didn't feel good to me, I was looking around and thinking, well, I'm, I'm getting normality mirrored back at me. I look kind of like the rest of them and what they're doing. Right. But I definitely had that, that, that disconnect. Were you uh, what we call a stay at home mom? I, I don't know if you call that, yeah, we that do. term there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I made the decision to uh, work from home, work from home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to do my sort of freelance writing at that point. Um, and 
uh, I think again had that typical sort of well that's all fine all right when the baby's sleeping Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know when you just go well everything will look exactly as it has already there'll just be a little baby in the picture right and I think that's how we like start to lose our identity right not that there's you know not I'm not faulting being a stay-at-home parent I you know I also did the same thing but I can look back and say that's when I was getting more and more isolated and um I never asked for help and I was just losing my identity and I drank to, um, to soothe that, that Mm. discomfort. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. And I think I, I drank to almost connect with what I perceived, you know, my younger, more carefree self. Um, there was something about that and the rebellion it's like well I can still do this and and I remember just sort of being out in my patio and also I used to smoke I never used to smoke unless I was drinking and so I do things like I go and knock on the neighbor's door and say oh can I have a fag we call it a fag here (laughs) don't nick a cigarette and and then I'd be like that's really gross I feel really ashamed for myself so it was starting to you know and then I'd say never smoke um, right, I'm not going to drink again. I'd start setting rules around it. Right, I won't drink on a walk Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. When husband comes home on a Friday, I'll have that, but I only have half a bottle. You know, I started to set rules around it, and invariably I would not meet those because by you know midday I was just thinking, oh, I'd start to barter with myself. Well, I'll just have one glass tonight. It'll be fine. You know, so I got very. You know that that bit when I don't know whether we call it pre-contemplation or when we know we're accelerating through the kind of alcohol uh, misuse sort of that 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 whole kind of spectrum. We enter that sort of problematic phase, don't we, and hazardous phase. And I think that that's a really difficult phase because it's like the wheels haven't fallen off the wagon, but it's not working. And you've got a really developed relationship with it at that point. And at that point, I, I, I felt like there was another person living with me. I felt like alcohol almost was, was an entity in itself. that I was having a very intimate relationship with thinking about a lot, spending a lot of time with, if not drinking, then regretting. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's like, when you said that wheel analogy, it just made me feel like it, it's like a when you get a shopping cart and it's wobbly, right? The wheel. And it's just like, it'll work, <laughs> but yeah. it, it's gonna, it, you're going to have to try really hard to keep that straight and keep it, you know, going down the aisle. And it's just, yeah, you're right. It's just like the wheels haven't come off yet, but there's a whole phase. It's really fucked up. Excuse me. You're fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. And it's an exhausting part of it. And I think because there wasn't the support that I needed Mm -hmm. um at that point that that phase went on for for many many years and then it it would get a bit worse and then it would get a bit better and then it would get a bit worse and then it would get a bit better um but I knew that that it was wonky from I'd say my my late 20s and it took to my early 40s to stop and and the way I stopped was that I discovered uh an online community called Soberistas Mm. and that was eight eight years ago and um and it was the first one that didn't scare the living daylights out of me and looked positive. It looked like a magazine cover. It looked aspirational. And, and, I, and I joined that and I, and I started blogging and I stopped. And I stopped with the help of a, of a community of like-minded women. How old were you at this point? So that was me at, 
How was I? I was 43. Okay. Yeah. That's when I started to, that's when I quit as well. Mm. There's like a calling or something. Cassandra, you were around that age too, right? I was 45. Uh Yeah. I mean, there's just something that is calling us at that point, like to take a look at things. Um, Mm. As we're approaching, you know, our, our midlife, it's like, what? I mean, I didn't know it back then. I didn't identify it as that. I was just following the next feeling. I was following, um, you know, telling the truth on myself to my doctor. I don't know why I did that. I just did that. I didn't have Mm -hmm. any plan. I didn't overthink it, believe it or not. I mean, I'm sure I was overthinking lots of things at that point, but I didn't think about quitting drinking until the day I was sitting in my doctor's office. You know, it's like, I was thinking all of these other things, like, how can I manage? How can I do this? You know, um, I thought it would be really shameful. I'm sure like something inside of me wouldn't allow me to do that. But I think, I mean, what you're saying, Kate, like, I feel like so many women feel this way. Mm-hmm. So you get to that point, you join Soberistas, you find a positive community of other people and you don't feel what, what is it that you don't feel alone? You don't feel. Yeah. Um, and, and it was positive because I had, um, I was, I tried to go to AA and I found myself very triggered um, because I had religious trauma when I was a child. So I couldn't go anywhere near anything that had anything to do with a mere whiff of a hint of a dream of a scent a million miles away of kind of god or anything (laughs) i just couldn't it was like i was allergic and i and now i understand through sort of studying around you know trauma that i was having a trauma response like i can't do that but that was all that was available and because i was in that what what we sort of call that kind of gray area where it was like i wasn't didn't quite i wasn't quite bad enough because you've got to be really bad to get any help in the UK. Right? So you've mm. got to be have a lot of social problem, a lot of fallout, a lot of, you know, you've got to be very dysfunctional to get any help. So there's a massive sort of swathe in the middle of people who, yeah, who 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 did, couldn't get support. And I, I, I was one of them. Um, and so what Soberistas gave me, I think, was that, well, when I, I started blogging, which again, this kind of segues into that creativity, doesn't it? And that the writing, I mean, I think I wrote myself sober mm. for, you know, for years. I blogged and I blogged and then people would comment on each other's blogs and say, yeah, I feel the same. And then we'd have a chat. So and it was like, oh, OK, everything that I thought I'd heard about sobriety and that I heard about, that I thought about alcohol, it was like it 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 blew all of the sort of cobs, cobwebs and myths away. It was like, oh, so there's not just a lot of people sitting around in a circle feeling really miserable and saying, I've just got to get through today. There's lots of people having a really good time and doing really nice stuff with their spare time. And that was the first time, honestly, that I'd thought of that as a possibility. Mm. So it gave me hope, I guess. It gave yeah. me hope and it gave me community. I think writing is such a powerful tool. I mean, I used it in my early recovery. I would write every month on my monthly milestone. Um, I would read other writers. You know, I read the things that Sandra wrote. Sandra was doing an interview series, had just started it, I believe, Sandra, when I found mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. Um, interviewing other women um, in recovery and that were doing something creative. I mean, it was the whole impetus for this podcast was Sandra's vision. I just mm-hmm. tagged along. Um, thank goodness, you know, lucky me. 
Um, but I think, but I think writing is such a beautiful outlet to get your story out of your body too. Just if it's just for yourself, just getting it out of your body and onto paper, onto the computer, um, letting it travel all that noise in my head through my heart, through my hands has really been a powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah. For me. Yeah, exactly. It was a way I, I wasn't seeing a therapist at the time. And so it was just a way for me to, it was a place for me to tell the truth and on the page and, mm-hmm. and process my thoughts. And, um, it felt like, um, it felt therapeutic. Um, I could be using that word wrong for, you know, actual therapists, but <laughs> that's what it yeah. felt like because it felt like I was processing emotions and truths that I wasn't, you know, and even at that early on, I wasn't willing to, you know, to, to, to say out loud. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. And I think that that part of that that's really powerful for me is that telling the truth and telling the truth in safe spaces mm-hmm. um, and being able to process. And I think that's what, what it did. It, it, and it was an anonymous space. You, you, and, and for me, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm out loud and proud now, but um, it's like, oh, shut her up. But at the time I was full, uh, you know, I arrived on the doorstep like so many of us do, really full of shame yeah. and really not knowing like having no idea other than things feel broken and that's all we know so we need that safe space to tell the truth and to keep telling our truth rather than it have to fit into a system of somebody else's truth and I think that is what that forum gave me as well um yeah yeah I mean community is such an important part of getting and well, maybe not get Well, perhaps, yes, like what you're saying, getting, but staying mm. on this path too. I feel very, uh, Sandra and I've been talking about it a lot lately within our own community. I know you have a community with your podcast, with your coaching, um, but to, to have the other women, like you're saying, other women that you can feel safe to say things around. I mean, we have a Sunday call, um, Kate, we have a call every Sunday with our uh, listeners, a uh, sobriety support call every Sunday morning. And the ladies are showing up and I'm getting to know them in such a way. This has been happening since the pandemic started that we have done this. So awesome. And it's exactly. such a way touchstone. Um, um, yeah, it's connection, right? And we know that that's key in recovery. And um, so if someone's listening, that's newly sober, um, or if you're in our secret Facebook group or you're in any community, like when you get the nerve to speak up and share, um, you'll be met. Most likely you will be met in the most beautiful way. Um, that's been, it's been very powerful. I think Laura and Holly did that with the home podcast and that's how I met Sandra. And, uh, I'm so grateful for it. I mean, there was 200 ladies in it at that time. I remember Sandra, I think mm-hmm. when we first kind of joined, it was like 200 for a while it hovered at and then, uh, you know, went, how it went. Um, but how is that work? So, so tell us, tell us more, Kate. So tell us more. Sorry, you were writing. I know there's other things creative in your life that, that were blooming too. Can you share? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think what, what I do now and what, what Mandy and I do now is very much focused on, it's been informed by what happened to us in that both of us, we stopped for a year and then started again started drinking again Mm -hmm. and so it was what it was identifying what bits were missing so community was met I think I'd got through that sort of muscle power of of some habit change but what I hadn't 
got was the sort of emotional um, self-care and kind of somatic nervous system toolkit to live my life. So I was still kind of white knuckling it. I was very happy. I was a bit on one all year, really. I was quite sort of punching the air like, hey. And um, actually, I needed to chill the fuck out so, and get a few tools on board, you know. Right. And so that's what happened. So Mandy and I got very, very interested in okay so what's working and what isn't and that led me down this path to studying the science of happiness and positive psychology and all the components about bits of our happiness that we can affect um you know community connection gratitude I know Tammy you're like gratitude is such a cornerstone isn't it for you it is yeah Um, uh, yeah and this sort of the idea of flow and creativity so it was about assembling these these toolkits um and we and then I decided that around that time that that I managed to quit again I went back and forward again for about 18 months longer periods in between um self-compassion was a massive discovery when I found Tara Brack and realized that when I drank I disconnected from myself I lost myself I felt shame you know and it was a real like I really had I I I had to really honestly do it for me rather than think that I should. And that meant sort of tethering it to my values um, and and having it be positive and have it be fun. And I hadn't quite worked that out, uh, you know, earlier, earlier than that. So I started my blog, which was Love, Love Sober. I was working with a coach and I was very fired up about the, the science of happiness and all of this exciting stuff that I was finding out. And I was thinking, everything I'm learning here, people are talking about in the sober community. So it's like, how can we map one onto the other? How can we how can we work within sort of recovery and sobriety with these amazing tools? Um, so I blogged, um, and I instead of being anonymous on a, on a sober forum, my coach helped me get over that kind of, Uh, the terror of publishing my blog (laughs) because I was really scared still that the school moms I wasn't scared about anyone else I'd be like okay I'm I'm pretty out but I was really worried about my kids and I was scared about my local community because I live in a small town and I was thinking they won't let their kids play with me and so I was really worried about the school moms I think that's Um, completely yes that is a completely normal fear yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure absolutely but through that Mandy found me because Mandy uh read my blog and liked the way I wrote and then got in touch with me and said hi I'm on Soberistas too do you want to do a podcast oh um, she just came right out the gate yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we, <laughs> she did wow but we started emailing each other hi and we've done an advent thread i know and we really laugh about this now because mandy's an amazing networker so we had a bit of a chat but i was in this space where i was like i'm just starting to do coaching like i was start studying a coaching course i'd got my blog up and i was like yeah i'm gonna do this so i said yeah i'd love to do a podcast how, how do we do that <laughs> yeah you figure it out right (laughs) yeah you do don't you so that's how we started to work together and I think that the the theme through that the sort of creativity through that if I'm thinking back that there's something about the voice and there's something about the spoken word there's something about telling stories 
and telling truths and changing the conversation. And that really has lit me up. So it moved sort of from the, the written word at that point to, to working it out and using that, the podcast really as a recovery tool. It's like on, you know, it's like therapy each week we chat it through, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sound- I feel the same, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think I have a different dating approach than the Mandy did with you. I wanted to take a slow, um, <laughs> as I was courting Sandra, I wanted to take yeah. a slow. <laughs> we would have phone dates and then we would talk and dream about like the theme song for the podcast. Can we use Blondie? Can we use call me? Do you think we could get the right? <laughs> She's so, so we did it very, like, we just were daydreaming a bit and, um, yeah. And then, um, I had a significant thing happen in my life and I came home and I was like, why are we waiting to do this? Like, sure. We can figure it out. We're very smart women. Like we've women figure things out. <laughs> we just do. Yep. And so that was it. But yeah, it's, it is a, a vehicle for the voice. And, and I think, I mean, recovery is about getting it all back, getting my voice back for me, yeah. telling the truth, yeah. you know, using me it too. in a way that is not how I used to use it before. Yeah. yeah, I really relate to that. I really relate to that. There's there's a couple of things with me and the voice as I'm thinking about it because I was a singer. Mm. Oh, tell us about I, that. I actually, I loved singing as a kid and I wanted, I was drawn to music and I wanted to learn to play, to play the piano, but I wasn't allowed. I don't think we had the money, but I was in church choirs um, and it figured quite heavily for me. And as soon as I could, I remember when I was about 16, I bought my friend's guitar for a tenor and taught myself a few chords and it was so that I could sing. Now, sort of fast forward uh, a few years and I'm busking in Greece around the Tavernas, singing my heart out. And then I moved to London and, I st- and as well as working the day job as a journalist, I was in a band and this is where I met my husband. <laughs> so we but it was very much you know it was uh, that sort of pub culture drinking um but it was it was you know it lit me up it absolutely lit me up I loved working with with my voice Mm -hmm. um and it was significant in that in a few ways there was part of the story that went back to really the religion part of it where I was part of um an evangelical church as well and they did a lot of singing in tongues so I had this quite strange um relationship with the voice where you bypass kind of rational thought and you and it's about utterance and I and as a as a sort of in as a kid and very unformed this was very um I don't know really how to describe it it was just very powerful Mm. not always easy um I don't I didn't feel very safe for for a while as well but it was definitely significant some kind of spiritual singing um if that makes sense so there were lots of different layers and I did end up working with that with a producer and doing more of that kind of um almost singing in tongues later on and at one point my, my husband and I split up and uh, before we were married and our band split up and I was heartbroken and as I'm piecing it together I didn't sing for a year it was like the little mermaid you know and she comes out of the water and she has to trade trade off her voice Mm. for living on land and it felt like that it's like okay I can get out I can drag my sorry ass out of my bed 
I can go do all the things that I'm supposed to do, like turn up to work. But my trade-off is that I'm so heartbreaking, I will never sing. Because mm. if I open my voice, I'll start crying and I won't ever stop. That was kind of, it was like a mm. proper gatekeeping on my kind of pain. So mm. that was quite interesting. Um, and gradually then gradually, I, I didn't sing for a really long time, actually. I didn't sing for quite a few years after that. Um, and then I found, so I've got these two, two sides, really. There was, the, there was the spoken word. There was the needing to tell my truth and needing to tell the story. And that was taking the form of writing and then later with the podcast. And then there was this element of almost transcendence um, with, with music and with singing. And I actually found a beautiful way back to that. And I, you know, when I was like in my twenties, I'd have think, thought this was so lame. But I discovered musical theatre, local mm. Amdram musical theatre, where it's all about community. And we did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and I was one of the divas, you know, the pink wigs, oh, thing, and it's raining men on top of a pink shoe, and <laughs> you know, it, waiting in the wings with drag queens and showgirls. And I was like. I'm home. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And the silly, most silly, frivolous, camp, ridiculous way, all of this kind of quite heavy stuff around the voice and what it meant and to be cool and this, this. It's like I found such a beautiful place of freedom just mucking about. Um, yeah and you know too when there's no pressure of like you don't have to monetize it you don't have to you don't have to it doesn't have to become some other thing you're just playing and doing it for fun and uh there's so much freedom there yeah it really is it's so joyful and I love that because I remember the the whole um, the word amateur, and it has a bit of a stigma around it, especially if you sort of think you're all right, you're quite good at it. Um, as amateur, it's just amateur, but amateur it comes from the French amour, which means for the love of, and I and uh, I love that. I love that. that too. Yeah, I love the the visuals of it, of the Priscilla Queen in the Des- uh, Queen of the Desert. Oh, That's fantastic. I I mean, there's so many opportunities um, when we get sober, right? To um, to delve in. I mean, that's why we have this podcast. Creativity looks different for every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of just. I mean, again, how you dress can be your creativity. It doesn't have to yeah. be, um, you know, painting a painting. Yeah, um, I use mine in many different ways, in many different small ways. But um, when you were when you were talking earlier, uh, Kate, what struck me was when you said. Uh, did you say I was busking? What did yeah. you say? I was busking. What did you say? Uh, around, in, Greece. in Greece, around the tavernas. Thank you. That's the first line to your next book. I was like, oh, that's going to be the line. Because I was like, yes. <laughs> I that. Tell me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It, 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 finding your voice in recovery, finding your voice in your life. It's, um, I work on this a lot with my therapist. Speaking up. Um, why am I keeping it in? I mean, that's, that's where my resentments come from, or that's where mm. I'm um, where my self-confidence gets shaky. Um, and I find that the more I do it and the more that I speak up and the more that I tell the truth, something in me gets sturdier. Yeah. And I found that, um, I too, like you, man, I'm I'm sorry, Kate. Um, I too recognized 
that I had high anxiety as a child. I didn't know that. I didn't know that all my fear. I mean, I couldn't walk outside the lines of crosswalks. Um, I have, I'm sure it's some OCD stuff too. I couldn't, my mom went to the mall every Saturday and every Saturday to go shopping. And I, I was terrified of the second tier of the mall. I was terrified of the walkways that connected both sides, right? Like you had to walk over a walkway to get to the other side. I would do counting. I would do all of these things that I never told anyone in my life mm. until I was 30-ish. I finally told my, um, my son's father, I would tell him like, I count 11 letter words. And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, like when I yeah. see him, they bother me. Or when people are talking, I can count their 11 letter words. He's like, well, what, what are you talking about? And for a minute, it made me feel special. And then it made me feel shame, right? Because yeah. everybody's like, how, how can you count 11 letter words? I do it all the time. And I do it all the time. I shouldn't say not all the time. I don't do it as much anymore, but I do it. And when I start counting letters um, in, in people's words, when they say 11 letter words, I know something's up. <laughs> now it's like a compass. Now it's like, okay, I'm counting numbers on addresses. I'm counting license plates. I'm counting letters. That's my anxiety. That something is not right in my world. And if I don't speak up about it, or if I don't talk about it, that's going to continue. And a couple of years ago, it turned into panic attacks. So talking with my therapist, she's like, you have to speak, like you have to use your voice. And it's funny, I guess I didn't fully think about the blog and the podcast as a vehicle for that, but <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's so obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. Yeah. So thank you for helping me connect the dots there. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's amazing. And I think that like you said, you do get sturdier and stronger. It's about that comfort zone stuff. And it's, I don't know, that beautiful kind of upward spiral that I think, you know, get, stopping drinking was the kind of cornerstone mm -hmm. of the self-care. That was like the thing I have to do. That is my foundation. And then everything else is this beautiful upward spiral as, as, as I shift. And I, you know, like you were saying, you, you tell your truth, you use your voice because you can't not anymore. That's the thing. There's nowhere to hide, right? So yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful, by, unavoidable by, byproduct, really, that, that's sometimes really inconvenient, but essentially it's just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right, right. Well, Sandra, you uh, sing, yeah. don't you, Sandra? Uh, I... I sing it. I also was raised in a very fundamentalist church. I have a little oh. religion trauma myself. Mm. Um, but I sang in church, you know, um, growing up, uh, I mean, for 17 years until I went to college and stopped going to church and continued to sing as an amateur, as a complete amateur. But yeah, recently I've, I've been taking some voice lessons from my friend Jessica Corbin. And um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's um, totally out of my, oh, you know, I can go in with this even sort of false confidence <laughs> in a lot of areas, but not with, but with this, I am, I feel really exposed. <laughs> right. It's vulnerable. But, um, it is vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. Are it you, uh, are you doing it on, over zoom then you obviously, yeah, have we're, okay. mm -hmm. yeah, we're just doing it over zoom, oh. but, um, but yeah, it's fun. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll record something and, 
Um, maybe I'll be brave enough to share it. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love hearing that. Um, okay. So Kate, you and Mandy do the podcast. You're working with women. You both are coaches. Um, and then how does the idea for writing a book together come about? Oh, okay. Yeah. This being one of those years we're like trying to catch our breath with things that have, Mm -hmm. have happened. Um, well, the, this was my idea. The book was was something that I was was kind of an extension of the blog, really, and and that I wanted to do. And like you were saying, you know how you were saying, like women figure it out, don't they? And like nothing has been by design. It's just we we do something, and then we're like, oh, that felt good, that worked. Or why don't we do this? And so I said to Mandy why don't I'm writing look I've shelved this writing idea I got I got a couple of publishing deals but they weren't very good I took advice I don't know where I got the bravery to say no because I was so pathetically grateful that anyone wants to publish me at the time but they weren't they weren't great deals so I took some advice and they said no don't don't, don't do it so I just shelved it and I said to Mans, um yeah so do you would how do you feel about writing this this book it's it's sort of a a self-care guide it's going to be all about positive sobriety it's going to be for grey area drinkers it's you know really want it to be um for sort of them on market kind of thing as well sort of focus on carers and Mandy said I'd absolutely love to and we were like great um and then we've Mandy and I've got really different skill sets. So I'm often quite blue sky and then go, well, I don't know how to do that. So Mandy just said, right, okay. And she got on uh on email and found us an agent and <laughs> sorted it out basically. Um, and kind of did a spreadsheet of people that we'd like contacted and who we hadn't, and then wrote a really good pitch. And because she's brilliant at networking, we've got a, a great friend who's a writer called Claire Pooley, who did the sober diaries. I don't know if you if yeah, heard of that. And, familiar with that, yeah. Yeah, and the authenticity project, she's just written a novel. Um, and now Claire is a really good girl, so she and she's sober. So Mandy said to her, Oh, tell us how you got an agent and how do you write a pitch? So Claire got on the phone and said, well, you can have a look at my pitch for my first novel that I I used and then just tweak it. So she really gave us Mm. a masterclass, you know, all of this like collaboration and sisterhood and people being so generous and helping each other out. It's just just really makes me feel quite, I don't know, humble and grateful kind of thing. So, yeah, so then we did and um, we got our lovely agent who then found us a publisher and we had an, an all-female team as well. And we met, this was one of those pinch me moments because there's a really fabulous um, women-only private members club in Soho in London, you know, bef- before it'd be all the old boys network kind of thing. And it's just for women in business. And we met our publisher and our agent there to talk about our book. And we were just like, you know, kids in a sweet shop going, can't believe it's really trying to be cool. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. (laughs) And um, yeah, just had this most amazing team of women behind us, which we called our doulas, our literary doulas. Oh, I like that. Um, Is that, is that where like, is it Joanna Bradford teaches it? Is it the Soho house? Is that what it's called? No, it's called the Albright. Albright. Okay. But it's really near Soho house. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was it. And then we just, we collaborated and we 
sense this because obviously Mandy's in France, I'm in the UK, and we just sent things backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, uh, worked with a great editor and lo and behold, about four months later, we we submitted our manuscript. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so okay, but that sounds that sounds real easy, but it, I know it's not. <laughs> I know it's not. Yeah. But it sounded like it did flow, and 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 having collaboration. I mean, working with other women that um, share, you know, this common problem that we have with alcohol, and like to to support one another. It's yeah. gold. It's totally gold. It really oh. is, and and I think also because of the because by that point we'd done the podcast for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and we were cl- working really closely together on a lot of stuff. So we're on Zoom every day together, talking to to each other. So actually, even though we're in different countries, we know how each other tick. And we know, and and Mandy really helped me put together the ideas of mental health and where mental health and alcohol use and mum drinking and burnout, you know, whereas I and I was bringing the science of happiness to it and some of the somatic nervous system elements. So we just found that we could crunch it down and, uh, and we were both studying to be coaches. So we were able to put a coaching framework in there as well. So I just think it was that, you know, like you guys have, it's just that chemistry. Sometimes you just have it, don't you, with someone and it's gold, yeah. like you said, you know? Yeah. And it's good to have, to not be exactly the same, you know, mm. and to have that. I mean, Sandra and I aren't exactly the same. Sure. We, we have similar things, but we work differently and it's really taught me a lot about, and Sandra introducing kind of the Enneagram to me. I'm researching some things right now and learning more about it, about our types and how I work. And I can see how Sandra works with her sevenness now. And I can see how I do. And I yeah. can, I can see like with other people that I know their numbers now, it's been really a really great tool to kind of understand, mm. um, to really help me with expectations and to really help me with judgment. Like it's been a really, I'm just learning, but it's been really powerful. I don't know okay. if you know about that, Kate, about the Enneagram, but I do know about the Enneagram. I, I, I did do it. I did the typical me where I just did it really quickly and I can't remember what number I am. <laughs> <laughs> so what number might she be, Sandra, if she did it that way? Oh, oh <laughs> I don't seven. know. <laughs> but we do disc. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that, that uh, has kind of four tendencies approach to disc um, training. Mm-hmm. And so a high, I'm a high eye and Mandy would be something completely different she'd be more of an s and a c and it is that sort of yeah that complementary skill set um and it does i think you're right i find those very interesting and useful for collaborations because it it just means that you don't you don't get so personal it's like oh you're that kind of time so you might work in that process right so it can really help can't it long term it can really help yeah. And again, just interpersonally in my day-to-day life, it's been interesting to kind of, because I think the body already knows it, right. You can kind of get a sense of things, but it kind of helps you um, have more empathy or compassion or understanding yeah. um, someone's way. Yeah, for sure. It's been helpful. It's been helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the focus that you have and all of the work that you're doing, Kate, um, for mothers, like it's just, it's a really big deal. I know I used to own a wine bar, Kate, and I, I was one of the people that would buy the silly little cocktail napkins that looked kind of retro fifties that had really ridiculous things about alcohol on them and women. And, um, I sold those in my store. I was like part of the problem, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, I can look back now. 
Um, and I think that this whole movement of talking about the, for moms, I mean, I'm seeing it a lot on social media and, um, and hearing about it more and more when I was drinking and when I had my son and when I owned the wine bar, um, I thought I was just the coolest to be quite honest. I thought I had mm. the life. I just thought, wow, look at this is fantastic. I, I get to work with these creative winemakers and they're all artists. And I really, I kind of glorified it in a way to make it seem glamorous and to make it seem, you know, cool. Um, but I think what, what there's one incident that happened when I went to the park um, for a, a play, kind of like a playtime at the park on a Friday night with all the school and PTA moms and dads. And I showed up at the picnic table and everybody was bringing something for the, for the festivities. Uh, maybe someone had a beer, maybe some dad had a beer or something. I don't know, but I show up with a martini shaker and all the fixings for people so that I could drink what I wanted to drink while the kids are playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember the look on the dad's face. Like, what is she doing? Like what? And I, I wouldn't look at him anymore, obviously after that. And some of the moms partook, um, but it didn't really matter because I'm the one that wanted to drink it. It didn't matter. And then I'm going to drive home with my kid after that. And I just remember the look on that dad's face of just, and I felt, um, of course I felt some shame, but it really was like a, this little, one of my little wake up calls, like, this isn't normal what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't, this isn't okay. Everybody else was just meeting at the park to have a little food. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a glass of wine. I don't know. You know, I can't even fully remember because I was so focused on me. Um, but going to school auctions and buying all the wine that was at the auction. And I don't know. I just, I was doing this thing. I would have, I would have art shows at my wine bar for my son's preschool. And, you know, of course not mm -hmm. allow any of the kids to come in to see their art because it's a bar and they can't. Mm. And so finally the teacher was like, I don't think we could do it at your place anymore. You know, I want the, to honor the children. Mm. And so I think we're going to have to find someplace else. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I mean, there were so many like little things that I just ignored. Mm. And I think um, like you, when I, when I finally got time to quit drinking, I was ashamed. I didn't want, I live in a town of 126 people, Kate. Um, and the next town over has a thousand. So the, and it's like, we know everyone. Yeah. And I was writing about it publicly. And my husband, I asked him at the time, I said, you know, are you going to be embarrassed if I do this? Or is this going to be a problem for your clients? He's like, no, it's your experience. Do whatever you want. You know, but I did feel that kind of, um, once I could start telling the truth on myself, mm. um, I felt relief. I felt like the, it was a slow, it's almost like a, a helium balloon or something. I started letting the air out a little bit, a little yeah. bit at a time. And so do you have any recommendations for moms that are, you know, thinking about quitting drinking or when a mom comes to you, uh, a woman uh, comes to you, like, is there anything that they can do to help kind of help start, start the journey? Yeah, I think, yeah. And I, so, I so relate to that as well. Um, and that sort of dawning realization. I think the main the main thing for for moms and carers, like I think, to be able to sort of unpick the messaging around it for us and how we've ended up feeling like it's our best friend, mm -hmm. because I know that there is a personal 
journey there's a personal kind of choice and liability in there or whatever but we're quite interested I'm personally very interested in in messaging and marketing around alcohol um and you know I don't think everything that we think about alcohol is our treat our reward our commiseration our celebration that it's no accident it's either woven into historical fabric because the UK is a big sort of binge feasting kind of drinking nation historically or it's been picked up by marketeers, um, or with the social, the social media. And we always say we do quite a lot of work around, um, you know, deconstructing the messages. So, so what what is it? It, it came out of the, you know, the a lot of the mummy wine time and mummy drinking and the hurrah for gin and wine mums and things like that came out of the honest parenting movement which was a reaction to the fact that we were supposed to look like Claudia Schiffer, breastfeeding, cooking a million cakes, earning loads of money, keeping her really, do you know what I mean? We were like supposed to do it all, be it all, given a seat at the table, you know, to earn some money. And we're sort of, we, we're, we're crumbling. And so there was a really great sort of movement on Instagram of the kind of real parenting movement of mums you know, sitting on the toilet, taking a picture of themselves, sitting on the toilet, surrounded by washing, going, this shit is hard. Like, this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But um, it kind of got coupled with drinking. So there was a lot of wine bottles in prams. So there's like, and now it's mummy wine. Now it's gin o'clock, you know, whatever. So it got coupled with, with that. And so what we try to do is just go, look, it, it is tough and we've got to respect, <laughs> you know, try and care for the carer in a holistic way and get some good sort of tools and ask, okay, what, what do I actually need? Like we've been, t- we've been sold this as you deserve it. You need to sit down. You need to unwind. Yes, you need to sit. Yes, you need to unwind. Yes, you might need affordable child, childcare. You don't need a vat of wine that's going to make you feel like shit the next day and numb out the fact that you're really angry, the fact that you're ragged, the fact that you're exhausted. You know, it's like call bullshit on this and get what we actually need. So that's a really big key, you know, is 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 let's get our heads straight and then let's get supported with the community and then let's get soothing our nervous systems. Let's get, you know, having some fun. Let's get in lowering our expectations. Yeah. So it'd be a bit of a, a package of all of that, I'd say. Mm, I think lowering the expectations is probably like one of the hugest pieces of this you know good enough you know good enough yeah yeah Yeah. I I mean I I you know I my it's been a while since I've had little ones you know my kids are 12 and 17 now and um and I remember what that was like like I oh there's no way I can do baths and reading and and you know and dinner and homework and you know like there's just no way I can do this without, without alcohol. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes too, it was just to um, alleviate the monotony of the days too. Just like, Oh, it's just this again, (laughs) Same set of things I do every single night. I can't take it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really important to have that sort of community, you know, the, and the online stuff now, because we have meetings every week with 
um, with the women in our community. And sometimes we do a deep soul share and sometimes we have a laugh or talk about, you know, the latest thing we've watched on Netflix. And it's just that, you know, a bit of community or, you know, something creative because we're very big on the creative, aren't we? And that's something to do in the evening. Yeah. That shakes it up and that helps you shift gears from the job of being mum just to having your own time. And also, I don't know, because it is really hard, isn't it, when you can't get out and you can't but it's like there's something in there that this seems really old-fashioned that to know it will pass like each stage will pass it's almost like we need wise women a bit further on to hold our hands a bit and go I know it's bloody tough right now isn't it but you know it's going to be okay how can we make it a bit better right now and it's going to be okay sort of thing yeah um well thank you kate um is there we're we're getting down to the part of the show where we ask you about your unruffled toolbox um and three items to share with our listeners it could be either like a creative um thing that you do or something that helps you stay sober um we call this the unruffled toolbox and that can uh, be some things that our listeners can write down and take away do you have three things you can share no i do and I wrote them down on the paper, on a piece of paper and I've done so much scribbling. <laughs> I've written down things like tell the truth, processing. <laughs> Here it is. I've got I've got something. I'd say, um, well, any kind of cal- calming practice. So one of the things that, that's been a, just an unbelievably stellar bit of learning for me has been so helpful is learning about the nervous system. And I'd like to actually signpost a fantastic place in the UK called the Blurt Foundation. It's called blurtitout.org. And they've got lots of free resources. And on there, they've got a sensory self-care toolkit. So it's how to really look after ourselves in, in, in our senses. So maybe, you know, if I'm feeling sad, wrap, you know, what do I do? Wrap myself up in a blanket. If I'm feeling angry, I pummel a cushion. And it's a beautiful, uh, it's really nicely presented as well. And you can work through and literally assemble your sensory toolkit. You know, I found that lying down on the floor five times a day stops me getting triggered because it, and actually what it is, I just need to lie on the floor. And it soothes my nervous system. And my husband laughs at me because I get up in the morning and then I, the first thing I do is I go and lie down. That sounds good yeah. to me. Um, what, what, what was that website again, Kate? It's called blurtitout.org. Um, which okay, it great. seems quite appropriate from what we were talking about, about being able to tell our truth, blurt it out. <laughs> um, they are, and they are a mental health charity in the UK, but obviously you can access it from from the states right thank you um yeah community community and connection and building your building your sober buddies and like your a team i think it's really 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 key um and i can't remember who was it it was rose i don't know if you know rose remain she's a she recovers coach and she was there actually she's the voice behind our audiobook it it was total serendipity she just reached out to me yeah I know who you're talking about ah and she is wonderful she's an actress and yeah she got the gig really spookily to do our audiobook so Rose is amazing and she talks about um having like a traffic light system with people you know if you're just newly sober Mm. and the red people are people that because often we go to the wrong people to get 
help don't we we're just wanting we tell the wrong people and, it, and wonder why they're not supportive so it's like okay to try and identify your red people who just deserve that kind of oh I've got, I'm on antibiotics line um or the the green people who really have got your back or like a sober community where you know that you can tell your truth that you'll get support and get stronger mm. and in the early days if there's an amber people who you're not sure about in the early days we always say look just air on the side of red then it's great so, so i'd say community and connection and the last one is just like you were saying like this kind of self-compassion and giving yourself a break and lowering expectations whatever i think i can do in a day i have to take about half off that list and then i'm about in the right ballpark mm-hmm. so you know just yeah watch the pressure cranking up because it can crank up can't it and before you know it the inner meanie is running the show so just yeah be super kind super kind to yourselves mm-hmm. well kate thank you so much for coming on and sharing um i realize we have not said the name of your book that is coming out is it in paperback that's coming out in march or is it, it is. just coming out yeah. okay it's super exciting so yeah it is online oh in kindle form but it's um a weird but we will be out won't we um with this podcast in march so by the time this goes out yeah march the first um it's available in paperback in the u.s it's the american release of it so what's the title and it's called love yourself sober Mm, uh, i like that Well, this is going to go out a little bit before March. So I hope people, can they pre-order yeah. that and do that on Amazon? Or how would, how is it best to order it? Um, yeah, Amazon.com. You can order it on, I don't know if you can order it from Amazon.co.uk. There's, um, but yeah, they should be available to pre-order. Um, and also there's a site called bookdepository.com. Um, and that's got free worldwide shipping. So oh, if you do want to go and rush out and buy it, and it's just before March, you can go to Book Depository and you can, they'll ship to the States and it won't cost you anything. Oh, that's mm. great. Um, and how can people find you and work with you, Kate? Um, we basically live at lovesober.com. Okay. Um, and that's a good, we sort of that signpost, our community, the podcast, our one-to-one coaching, um, the book, and, and we do courses as well. And we run group, uh, group coaching program for women a three-month program and our next one will actually start in March so yeah you can you can find us there and work with us in in many different ways Mm. I'm glad you guys found each other you and Mandy I'm happy to hear your story can you imagine like we often (laughs) say imagine can you imagine like you two hadn't found each other it was unthinkable (laughs) yes I agree I feel that way about I feel that way about Sandra I definitely feel that way yeah yeah have a beautiful day Kate thank you so much for sharing your story and um, for those listening go check out um, love yourself sober and you can pre-order it and look for it in March thank you so much bye Kate thank you bye the unruffled podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Solace Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.